Thank you for tuning in and listening to Woman in in Place. My name is Runka Valiti. I'm your host, and today we chat with Audra Harold, a woman who fearlessly follows her dream to launch an equestrian clothing line, working in the fashion industry, moving to different places, supporting designers through fashion funding in St. Louis, and the awesome, awesome, awesome P word, pivot to get your minds out the gutter, people. I hope you enjoy. Stay tuned and rate. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are. I am Ron Kefality, founder and storyteller at Corriday, a fashion and lifestyle brand that is focused on the woman behind it. We care deeply about all the many roles and all the many identity and hats that our women are wearing, and we are focused on women empowerment. Corriday, we see you, and we are excited today to be speaking with Audra Harold. We want our women to introduce themselves, but if I may, I would tell you that I met Audra through the Fashion Fund a little over a year ago when Audra gave me an amazing opportunity to grow Corday and to be seen as a small brand in St. Louis as part of the Fashion Fund. And she's a huge champion of me, of women causes of fashion. She's truly a gem to know. And we are really excited to be talking with her this afternoon. So Audra, we like to start our women by saying introduce yourselves however way you want to but in addition to that please share with us where you find joy and what gives you joy as you introduce yourself sure and thank you for having me and you were doing a great job introducing me I'm like keep going (laughs) I appreciate the compliments as you're aware my passion is fashion design and young emerging designers and I think a big part of that stems from that's what I did I think I went through and we can get more into the details of this later, you know, I had a, a equestrian brand called Sassy Bowl, and it was a equestrian sport brand. So it was your everyday workout attire versus show attire for women who ride horses. And with the messaging behind it of Sassy Bowl, which is an oxymoron a bit because it's a pink bowl. It's a stick <laughs> with you know what. <laughs> so anyways, my, that's where my passion is because I made so many mistakes. I made, I think, every mistake you could possibly make and then some. And that's why I'm so passionate <laughs> about designers like you and why the the position at the fashion fund was so key for me as far as trying to you know help and assist the local designers here. But I digress back to who I am, who is yeah. originally from Seattle. I was born and raised there, left when I was 22 with just some clothes in the car to go to Rhode Island. A girlfriend of mine was in a bunch of weddings. So her mom said she couldn't <laughs> go cross country by herself. And I'm like, I'll go, you know, <laughs> a little bit of her wandering school when I was about 22, but I graduated from the University of Washington with a degree in communications and journalism. And then I went on to art school, also in Seattle, where I studied commercial photography. And that was all before I loaded up my car and headed across the country. Let's see, so I was in Rhode Island just for a summer, decided that really wasn't where I wanted to land, and then ended up in Lexington, Kentucky, really on my way back to Seattle. It was a little side trip. I'm a a horse girl, an equestrian, and always Mm -hmm. loved the idea of going to Lexington and seeing horse country USA. I drove into town. It was the most beautiful sunset. I can still see it in my head. And I was like, I'm going to stay here, you know, (laughs) 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 I'm going to be hitting myself a little bit here because I did call my mom from a payphone. And I said, mom, I'm in Lexington, Kentucky, and I'm going to stay. And she's like, honey, you're where? (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty brazen. 
Yeah, like, it was. That's pretty brazen to move across country pretty much to a place you've never been before and make the decision to go for it. Talk a little bit more about that. We were supposed to get into times of transition later in our conversation, but yeah, so I think there's something just really beautiful about kind of just starting, starting. I mean, I was young, I was 22 and just starting in a place where you don't know anyone and you can really create who you are and your own identity. Right. And so for me personally, once I decided to stay <laughs> and my mom's a bit of a, a business card hoarder. And when I called her back, she said, well, you know, I found this business card of a woman I bought a t-shirt from in Reno, Nevada wow. at a first show like three years ago. Why don't you call her? So I called this stranger <laughs> and I said, you know, you're not going to know me. You're probably not going to remember my mom, but I'm in Lexington. I don't know a soul. I just got this little apartment. I don't have a job, like nothing, just a car full of clothes <laughs> animal that rode in the passenger seat and uh this woman said well why don't you come on over and she had does, did screen printing in her barn so i'm like well put me to work and tell me about the city and so anyway fast forward i ended up through a roundabout way learning about a job at a magazine called the blood horse which is a very high-end international racing magazine it comes out weekly and it's really about like Derby, Belmont, Breeders' Cup. It's its the kind of publication for anyone in the racing industry around the world. Yeah. So I started working there. I was in the advertising department. And the beauty of the job was that I was able to go to all these incredible farms. And for all of you that know Lexington and have seen, you know, Lexington right. in movies, and you see those big, beautiful farms, that was my life. Like I would go wow. to the office some, and then I'd go with my account reps to all these beautiful farms, and I would take pictures of them as well. And I think the, the creme de la Creme was I was a track photographer at a 1997, it was a while ago, Kentucky Derby. But that was an experience that was just unbelievable sitting quarter pole when they're coming around that last turn. That's so incredible. Like racing right at you. It was just really awesome. So this is completely fascinating to me. And I'm so glad I was not privy to any of these conversations because I'm just like, the last time I saw you was at a bar or like it was like a nightclub-ish place. <laughs> and I would not picture you in Lexington <laughs> some years ago. Yeah. Uh, doing these amazing things with the woman that I know today. So it just goes to show you how rich our experiences are. And I'm sure all those experiences have shaped who you are today. So like when you think about taking that step to be bold and brazen and go for it, all the fears that you had and all the nervousness and maybe the gift of youth, because when you're younger, you're like, yeah, I can do it. What what would you tell yourself now, looking back? And what would your younger self tell yourself today, looking forward? Oh, that's a great question. I think as far as like the, the boldness of just making the decision to do it, I mean, sure, you did feed into it. And obviously, you know, less responsibility mm -hmm. mortgage and children. You know, <laughs> made it a little easier. But all things being equal, I would do it again. If my kids leave the home and like, oh, okay, what's next for Audra? I wouldn't hesitate to make that same leap. I think you just have to believe in yourself. I was mm. terrified. Like, who does this? Mm. <laughs> you know, I was believing in myself and then also all the credit in the world to my friends and family and specifically my mom because she was never, mm. well, you can't do that. You need to come home. It was like, okay, you're where? And what are you doing? Okay, I'll support you mm. in what way I can. And it was never financial because my mom... You know, she didn't have a lot of money. It was, I was off on right. my own. But as far as being supportive of my decisions, even if she personally didn't agree with them, she's like, I have to give her the wings and let her go. Awesome. So I think, you know, having that support and even if you, it's not your parents,
parents, if it's friends or whoever it is, like really surrounding myself, I'll speak for myself, with people that supported and continue to support my decisions and what I'm doing makes the journey just that much better. And you just the confidence that I gain right. personally from having the support is awesome. That's incredible. Wow. Thank you for being so vulnerable and honest about that process. That's so cool. One thing that I wrote down is to believe in yourself. So you said going back, going forward, you'll do it again. When you think about the nervousness is so real and you talked a little bit about starting a fashion brand and being so supportive of young fashion designers and really bringing creativity into life. We all live in fashion. We all experience it. Even those of us who say we're not into fashion, if you wear clothes, you're into fashion. in some sort of way. And it's all about self-expression. Perhaps we can talk a little bit about having those experiences in Lexington in Kentucky and starting your own fashion brand. Talk a little bit about the learnings and your advice for the next generation. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> like, how long do you have? Distill it to like the best of the best. <laughs> uh, for me, my my personal journey with creating the brand now, you know, I didn't go to fashion school. I'm not, I think there's two schools. There's one where you, you're formally trained and then there's one you find a, a need and a niche. And so for me, what I found while I was riding, and after I left Kentucky, I moved to North Carolina, which I was there for 13 years before coming to St. Louis. So when I was in North Carolina is when I had you know, horses there too. And, and I found that I was just really frustrated with how my clothes fit. And when you're riding, and I've never had the money for like the big, beautiful finished horse. I always got these green horses that were <laughs> half wild. And so you really had to <laughs> hang on sometimes. And I right. found while I was riding, I would get frustrated because I'm you know, tugging on my shirt or you know, trying, you're riding an 1100 pound animal. It has a mind of its own, you know, a young animal. You need to be on point as far as focusing. And when I'm messing around with my clothes, I'm like, this isn't right. So right. for me, um, starting the brand really came out of being frustrated how my clothes fit when I was doing the everyday riding. As far as the learning curve, so when I decided to do this, it really was kind of a how I was riding. I was like, hold on and go. The mistakes I made, I trusted some people that were a little bit kind of like shiny things, little girl, you know? And I was like, what shiny <laughs> And you know, they were making promises that in hindsight now were, were just not realistic. I signed some contracts with some PR, I guess, marketing companies that made all these promises and then nothing came out of it. I mean, I, I won't say nothing. There were some relationships. But that not I, enough. Right. I but it. not what I was paying them for. So I think, you know, a big lesson, if I could go back, would be to really surround myself with people who want to be there to help that are engaged in my journey. And that's where like my passion for you and your journey comes through because that's something I would have loved to have as someone who's really in my corner and supporting me, but not saying, okay, now that'll be X amount of dollars. And, and you, know, service, you know, we do need to pay for it and we get to that point. But I think just the relationships and the mentoring, if you will, your mentoring are just are priceless. So going back, right. I would love to have had more of that instead of flying by the seat of my pants and writing checks here and there. <laughs> that's so true. You know, they say that the people that made consistent money in the gold rush were not the people actually looking for the gold was all of the support and service people. And so if you think about starting a business before you even make $1, there are so many people along the process holding out their hands. You want a website? No problem. Here's the cost. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You want a pattern? No problem. You want a technical drawer? You want this? You want that? 
yes, we can do it for you. Oh, you want market? You want, you know, communications person. It is incredibly. And I don't think that we talk about that enough, especially if the passion is creativity. I know there are outlets that are starting more and more to educate fashion designers about the business aspect of it and not just focused on the bring in something beautiful. If you can conceive it in your mind and it's never been done before, it's an exciting process to dream up something and then see it in form where you can hold it. But that itself is an exercise that's completely different than the actual business aspect of running a successful small business that can grow into something that's not so small. Everything started small. At some point, Coke was a small business, I'm sure. Exactly. <laughs> you know, being realistic about the cost. What does it cost to start right. a business? Be realistic about it. And then also, where can you cut costs? Do you need That's a, a $12,000 website out of the gates? Probably not. You know? Probably um, not. Definitely you know? not. <laughs> yeah. So can you find these incredibly talented youth that are looking for exposure and, and their por- build their portfolios. I mean, they might be interested in helping you get started. Right. So to your point about the fashion communities, let's bring it to St. Louis a little bit. And I am curious as to what brought you to St. Louis. I always say people come to St. Louis for our love or work or both. It's not necessarily like a destination city. <laughs> Most people don't say, oh, I know. When I leave home, I'm going to St. Louis. I love St. Louis for all my listeners. <laughs> this is now home. I've been here 12 years. I thought it was going to be three, but I do think it's one of the best kept secrets in the country. It's actually a really great place to live. And St. Louis is a place that continues to try. We have a lot of issues, particularly with racial tension, but I am so impressed with the way we try in this place more than other places. But what brought you to St. Louis? And then I want to talk a little bit, get to the fashion fund a little bit. Yeah, no, it's actually a very simple answer. <laughs> so my ex-husband, he Love. transferred, there it is. <laughs> he transferred yeah, for a job. But here's the thing is where I lived in Eastern North Carolina, it was a very small city. It was one of those, it was too small to be a city and too big to be a quaint Southern town. And so, you know, to go out to dinner, we would have to drive 45 miles to go to Raleigh wow. to have a nice dinner. Other than that, you're talking I mean, like a Waffle House kind of town and <laughs> not a lot of options, mm-hmm. but... I think, you know, for me, it wasn't a good fit as far as just who I am innately. And, you know, especially if you want to talk about racial tensions, I mean, there's huge disparities in in the South and especially where I was living. So just, you know, a girl who grows up in Seattle, I mean, it just was not a good fit with some of the things that were going on there. So I was constantly kind of like, okay, when a headhunter would call, I'm like, really where? And I'm on realtor.com, you know, (laughs) so (laughs) the move, when this opportunity came up, the move to St. Louis was very welcoming for me. I'd never really been to St. Louis except to, you know, a couple of work things for my ex-husband. And so when we got the news that we were moving, I was thrilled, especially as I started to really explore St. Louis. And Mm -hmm. when we moved, my children, I have two boys, they were three and five at the time. And this is coming on 11 years this year. What I love is like the zoo was free. There was so much access. And so having a family, and I just think St. Louis is a hidden gem. It really is. And we've got Mm -hmm. some work to do, but I think there's so much here. And I think we all can do so much with our city. So in St. Louis, what are the three places that you just absolutely love that you want people to visit more? Uh, Forest Park. Forest Park. 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 Park.
One, two, and three for Rose Park. Because <laughs> you can always find something new every time you go. That's what I love about it because it's just so big. And then probably the Botanical Garden. For me, that's just magic when I cross that threshold and get into all those plants and whether I'm going just to go for a walk or if I take a book or if I've got my kids, it's just mm. magic. I just absolutely love it. And then I would say number three would probably be, I mean, there's so many, I've, there's probably like a hundred, but <laughs> the three that would be probably the science center. I've got a very science-based child who's, I would say, incredibly gifted in science as well as okay. hungry for it. So I love going there and just watching these children absorb science. Absolutely. Like, what are they going to do? You know, and then I'm watching the SpaceX dragon and that whole right. experience. And I know I'm getting off track, but it just blows my mind that all of that happened. Just down right, to right, right. House. So those would probably be the top three. Well, thank you for sharing. So we're going to talk a little bit about times of transition. And in times of transition comes opportunity. We're at, all at home now and we're doing this recording virtually because we're still mostly at home. I know you transitioned from one place to another, from North Carolina to St. Louis. And somehow I'm sure in that process, you transitioned from Sassy Bull to being at the Fashion Fund and even now to be outside of the Fashion Fund and different transitions. So tell me a little bit about how you got into the fashion fund and how that transition was for you and what you tell yourself to adjust in the time of change. Sure. Well, I'm one of those souls that thrive on change. So I, I'm always embracing it when I see it or I'll put myself out there. So I'm definitely the opposite of someone who gets very comfortable and wants to just sit still. Mm -hmm. So to answer your question, with the brand, Sassy Bowl, it was pivoting as it was. I had gone from more, I guess, designing for women like me that are a mm -hmm. little older. <laughs> and mm -hmm. then young like teens and tweens were really interested. They, they liked the brand. They were they were gravitating to it because it was a little bit naughty. I would use in marketing be like kick sass and kind of cute stuff. And mm -hmm, then I would mm -hmm. look at it. So I'm like, well, I'll do a couple prototypes for the younger audience and just see what sticks. And then I'm looking at these young ladies and I'm thinking, well, I can't say that. Because <laughs> you know? it's like, <laughs> I put in marketing because it was supposed to be this kind of tough girl brand. And I felt like I was having to soften the marketing, which for me just didn't fit. And so I was in the middle right. of kind of pivoting yet again, like, okay, I think I'm going to go back to adults and that's where it needs to stick. A lot of my transitions, I think, occur organically because I'm just mm -hmm. aware of what's going on around me. But what happened in this instance is I had a little pop-up event. I was trying to get rid of some inventory and just, you know, especially the kids stuff <laughs> since I was mm -hmm. pivoting yet again, which is, I think, something everyone should always be prepared for, even mm -hmm. if it's a slight pivot because you just need to always keep things current. This woman, she showed up at my event and she started asking me a lot of questions and questions beyond the average consumer. So then I'm immediately thinking, <laughs> I, who do you work for? You know? <laughs> the CIA is after you. She says, well, I need to come clean. I have purchased a small batch manufacturing facility here in St. Louis. And with the purchase of the factory came an entire line of equestrian show clothing patterns, which is like the formal mm -hmm. attire. And mm -hmm. she said, I heard about you and would you be interested in, I guess, becoming business partners. And so you, we could offer the, the sport line and the show line, which show side I'd always shied away from because when you wear show clothing as an equestrian, you don't necessarily wear them out because you only mm -hmm. wear them. 
you ride right. the dry cleaners and back in the closet, right? <laughs> and so right, right. now you don't go through it like you do your everyday attire. Anyway, I, I spent some time and went down to the factory and, and fully vetted the situation and thought, okay, well, this makes sense. So Sassy Wool in late 2017, early 2018, became Sassendipity. So because she owned the factory, I was manufacturing in New York. And I thought, well, this will make things easier. You know, I had oh, all my God. fabrics, all my patterns, everything shipped to St. Louis. And I thought, well, this is great. And mm-hmm. then, you know, things just didn't quite work out how I'd expected. And, and I think my biggest challenge and worry at the time that I did address was I was concerned that because it was her factory that there was the potential for our stuff to kind of get pushed aside and that's what happened. So fast forward towards the end of 2018 when we were kind of figuring out I'll pull Sassy Bull back you know you take yours I'll take mine we'll just dissolve the new company. That's one of the fashion fund mm. um, Kathy Evans who was the executive director she was coming around because I was actually working at the factory I was helping them with processes and like okay if someone sends an email what are we doing with these people? Kind of helping s- smooth out the channel so that in my opinion, we can get our stuff manufactured, right? (laughs) So so then Kathleen came and and I had also in the meantime started a membership program that, or formulated, I should say, not necessarily started, that would not only have, you know, the business side of fashion and and that sort of thing, but also manufacturing discounts. And Kathleen and I were like, okay, wait a second. We all can't have memberships, right? (laughs) That doesn't make any (laughs) sense. Where can we streamline all of this? And St. Louis, I think one of the challenges is that, and you'll hear this over and over, is that the fashion industry feels very siloed, feels very... It's fragmented. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, how can we, you know, and it's getting better. And I'm really proud to be a part of that. But I think especially a year and a half ago was much more siloed. So Kathleen and I sat down and whiteboarded the membership programs and where things made sense. And at the end of the day, about 80% of what I had developed really made sense under a nonprofit umbrella. And so right about Mm. then, the factory was having some challenges. And then they made the decision to shutter um, Kathleen and said, Hey, well, can you come over and help us at the fashion fund with this membership? And I said, well, I will only if it has the potential to be a full-time position because I'm so passionate about this and I really want to see it happen. And so that's how I ended up at the fashion fund. It was all very organic. Well, you know, the one thing that I think it's true about your story is that you're open, right? I think the theme that I keep hearing is from the time you went with a friend at 22 to the time when you leaned into St. Louis to say, I'm going to move from North Carolina to being open. And it seems like there's an openness to you that's really, I have my palms opened because they're saying that if your hands are open, things can flow in and out. But when your hands are bald in a fist, nothing comes in. And so you definitely seem to have this openness. And I'm guessing with openness comes vulnerability because you can get burnt with bad deals mm-hmm. or you can thrive and have something beautiful happen. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. And the burning part, yeah, that's painful. <laughs> but for me personally, the financial burn <laughs> was very painful, but also the relationships and the, the mm. your point about feeling, feeling vulnerable. It's like, oh my gosh, did I get taken advantage of? It's that too. Mm. Like, okay, what can I do to make sure, one, I don't put myself in that position again? And what can I do mm. to protect others? I don't want them mm. to be 
this mistake. So going back to the local design community or just even any young emerging brand, mm-hmm. I've like been down some pretty, you know, thorny paths. <laughs> so right. let me clear that path for you. Try this instead of that. So to your point, I think, yeah, there is a lot of vulnerability when you are open like that, but then you also can have lovely experiences. And, you know, right. I never made it to the fashion fund had all of those other things not lined up and happened prior to that. Oh, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. We're the sum of our experiences and the sum of our choices. It's kind of like I can choose A or B. So to your point of you want to prepare others to not make the same mistakes, I often think that we don't ask the right questions. Are there questions that you ask now that you've just learned to ask over time? I'll give you one and maybe you can share yours. So one of the questions that I ask anybody that I'm interviewing or trying to uncover or develop a relationship with is what am I not asking you that you would expect me to ask? I find that it opens up areas that I hadn't explored, which is great. But are there other things that you would encourage emerging brands or young designers to ask with their partners or potential mentors and air quotes before they engage further? Yeah, I would say, what's our exit? (laughs) What's our exit plan? Is it to Mm. do this forever? Or is this to, okay, we're going to do this for three to five years and then work backwards. If our goal is to sell our shoe brand to Nike in five years, let's work backwards from five years. Mm. Especially if you've got multiple partners involved, you want to make sure everyone's on the same page. So if you've got one partner that wants to exit in five years and one that just wants to do this on the side (laughs) Mm -hmm. forever and just ride the ride, it, you know, you've got to get those in line. And then if it's just you, you need to make sure you're true to yourself and also realistic. Mm. Like this is what I want to do. And this is how hard I'm going to need to work. If I want to sell this shoe brand and Nike in five years, here's what I'm going to need to do starting with day one, right. but backwards, you know? So I think that would be, I don't know if that's more of a question or like, maybe it is like, you know, what, what is my exit? Oh, so you can ask yourself. Yeah. Ask yourself and ask those people. So it kind of lends the question when I think about the entrepreneurial landscape and a lot of startups and a lot of podcasts, I mean, there is a plethora of it and other people do it way better. But the path is pretty much like lifestyle businesses, which is, you know, the entrepreneur may run it, you may hire five to 10 people, you can live on it for the rest of your life or whatever. And then there's the path of an exit, which those exits are typically you are selling it to the VC funded type of exits. And it feels like that's the path that's glorified. And if you're not making certain metrics and certain time and you're not growing 20% month over month for two years consistently, whatever the metrics are, right? If you're not putting in that grind, then it's not worthwhile. Are those the two choices? Is it that binary? It's either lifestyle and that's not as glorified or, you know, grow, grow, grow. And if you can't grow it in five years, it's time to hang up. No, I think it's, it's number one, that needs to be a question you ask yourself. What makes me happy? How do mm. I define my own mm. success? Mm. And not necessarily financially, but if it means I'm not working 120 hours a week and I'm happy working nine to five and I want to go to my kids, whatever. And that it's the whole lifestyle piece that, mm-hmm. makes, that brings me happiness. And that's how I define success success, then that's definitely the road you should take. And I think with, and and I think COVID accelerated this idea of all these smaller brands, Mm -hmm. everyone wants to support local shop local. We've heard that over and over and over again, but now people are really doing it and they want to support local because they see what's happened. I mean, COVID just accelerated this whole mindset. So I think as far as having that, you know, brand that you grow and then sell, blah, 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 is fine for some people. But I think for those that want the lifestyle or the smaller experience, I'm saying smaller as in financial and responsibility, 
and that's what brings them happiness and joy, then that needs to be celebrated as well. And if that's what's your personal love, mm-hmm. passion, and right. what happiness, then that's definitely the path you should take. And, and as far as getting away from big, good, small, bad, <laughs> I think that's not <laughs> you know, happening anyway. Right. Thank you for sharing your thoughts and opinions, especially, you know, the the hustle is real. The grind is real. And as a young fashion designer and business owner, it is definitely one of those that you see some others that get funded or some that don't get funded. But there is a sense out there of hurry up <laughs> that is sometimes a little bit daunting. Well, Thank I think you know, just don't give up if you're not funded that first time. Find out what was missing. Why weren't you? I think two great examples of just persistence are Lisa Hugh and Audra Noyes. When I was with the factory, all three of us were the only fashion brands that were competing for arch grants. And none of us got that first year. And then that second year, both of them got it. So I think don't give up, you know, because you didn't get it the first time. Go back to the grind, figure out what you need to do or talk to people and say, hey, what's missing? What can I do? do to get to that point and access those mentors that can really help you on that side of it. No, that's a very good point. Back to the conversation about pivoting, transitioning, whether it is we're getting a title, gaining or losing a title, entering a zip code, deciding to pivot our ideas. And from somebody who has had multiple experiences and continues to be open to those experiences, What comes to mind for you today that you only learned through time? Oh, that's a good question. Well, I think, you know, titles to me, whether it's a a missus or a director or whatever the title is or a zip code, I think for me, I don't hold on to them too tightly because they're constantly Mm. evolving. I just lost a title, you know, so I lost my job of COVID. So I've lost a title. Mm. But what does that look like for me? It's leading me to all these other opportunities and moments. Got a couple Mm. irons in the fire that are exciting. And everything I believe in my life has happened for a reason and for the amount of time it was supposed to happen. And so what did I learn from it? And how do I move forward? Being at the fashion fun, I was there for 15 months, and it was the perfect amount of time. Don't get me wrong, I didn't like losing my job. But but, you know, But I take that opportunity and obviously I have great relationships. It was, you know, an unfortunate thing because of what's going on in the world, but all those relationships that I've built, not just with the designers, but with the city officials and and everything else in St. Louis, what is that doing for me now? And how can I take those relationships and really cultivate them and continue to say, Hey, I'm here. And what's next for Audra? For me, it's, I think everything has led me up to this moment from birth, where exactly where I'm supposed to be right now. Wow. The phrase bloom where you're planted comes to mind. And I think that's just a really good reminder that we are on a path and the path is really a journey and we have to lean into the process. So thank you for reminding me of that. Let's talk about, you know, I don't know the last time you were on a plane. It's been a minute for me. (laughs) I was... uh, Prior to COVID, I was supposed to go away for a spring break international, a short, I think, Dominican Republic. And went to Chicago to get the passports, fast-tracked because we just had a baby and right. made the decision like two days before to cancel. So I am definitely looking forward to being on the beach somewhere. But, you know, when we get on a plane, they always say, please put on your mask before helping others. <laughs> And I feel like that's a metaphor for life. (laughs) In real life, do you practice this? I am learning to. (laughs) 
<laughs> I am learning too. I am learning too. Yeah, I think I do need to take care of myself first because mom ain't happy. Nobody's happy, right? We all, especially as moms, we do yeah. tend to put everyone else first. And I think I did get, I would say the last couple years, probably where I did put everyone else first when I put myself last. And now I think with COVID, some good and bad and having to have come out of it, for me personally, having to stay home ended up being a beautiful thing. I picked up books. I used to love to read and I just quit reading. Mm. And now you know, I've read, I think, six books. I'm taking That's French. I listen to podcasts. I watch you know, webinars. So it's like all these other things that I'm learning to take care of myself first. I meditate first thing in the morning, which I never used to do. And yeah. You've like answered my next few questions because <laughs> one of it was, you what's your morning routine? I mean, like you just... <laughs> <laughs> answered it. That is incredible. And even as you're talking, Audra, I hear the elevation in your voice. The joy is emanating through to see how you're starting to take care of yourself and put your mask on. That's My amazing. Mask. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So for those of us who are still like the mask is it's on the head. We're trying to get it on our face and we may have our hands busy trying to help other people. Any advice, any tips to say, just do it? Permission do it. to and do it. Like, just do it. I think um, <laughs> when you do, or I'll speak for my, you know, myself, when I right. do, when I've learned to take care of myself and I've learned that these are things that I need to do, it's almost this ripple effect out to my, my children and my family and my friends. And it's like, oh, she feels good. So we feel good. It's like this contagion mm. almost, a good one of a good kind a and um, think, yeah, instead of this like woe is me or stressed out or any of those other feelings that would come across you'll see where, where you're hearing me when I started to take care of myself especially I could see it with my kids they're like mm. oh no, mom's feeling good mom's, mom's happier, happier. <laughs> mom's happier <laughs> yeah I am um, you know I'll meditate for a few minutes let the dogs out and then I make my coffee and I sit and read, even if it's 10 minutes, mm. I don't turn on the news. I just like take my morning to just be me and, and do that. And that's how I start mm. every day. And I think that consistency has just been a beautiful thing. Cause then if I don't do it, I'm like, oh my gosh, my day is going to be a little whack. <laughs> oh yeah. That's something I'm glad when in the conversations we're having, I am trying to learn what other women are doing for their morning routine. Because I mean, my morning routine is like trash. I get up and I'm <laughs> doing stuff right <laughs> there really isn't any moment that I steal away from myself and it's not good I mean there's a lot of studies that says that meditation that's collectedness that you know sit for yourself by yourself with yourself so I'm so grateful you're sharing that and that gives me so much life so I'm going to do it I'm going to pick one thing to do <laughs> that is it because Audra said so how about that <laughs> <laughs> I love it well, and I will this whole meditation thing here's my little tip because I'm really bad at it, to be honest with you. My brain goes so fast all the time. And especially in the morning, I'm like, what am I going to do today? And so for me, right. I set a timer for five minutes because that's as much as I feel like I can do before I transition mm -hmm. to talking book. And <laughs> I, so I set the timer. So I feel like it's a controlled time. I close my eyes. I sit in the same spot every day. And then all I do is tell myself air is going in, air is going out. Because other than oh, that, I'll like, think about all this other stuff. So for five minutes, yeah. thing, I say to myself, or I'll start thinking mm. about grocery lists and all <laughs> There's always something to do. <laughs> There's always something to do. No, that is really good. Thank you for the tips to actually make it happen. I really, I mean, I'm looking at my rapid fire questions that I sent you. You've answered most of it. How you point to yourself. <laughs> okay, tell us, what book are you reading right now? 
I'm reading this book club book. But so I'm in two book clubs. One is my neighborhood and one is some girlfriends. And fortunately for me, they both chose the same book. And it's called oh, like, wow. Where the Stars Are, something. I can't remember the exact title, but it, it's interesting. Ish. Um, it sounds like ish. And, yeah. <laughs> that doesn't sound like a resounding recommendation. Well, <laughs> I, I think it has the potential to be really good, but it, and it's a little slow getting into it. I'm going to do it. <laughs> good for you. It sounds like it's part of your morning routine <laughs> to read for a few minutes. That could be a good read. Okay, so before we close, when I hear all the hats that you wear, it seems like there's one hat that's probably always on, which is your motherhood hat. And I'm a young mom, right? Got four kids. And I know that we have audiences that have small children at home. We have others that are like you with older kids, maybe high school age and all the different challenges. Is there anything you can share with our audience thinking about womanhood in motherhood? Any any salient advice you want to give to our audience yeah, I would say, about those hats? Yeah, <laughs> I would say trust yourself. Trust yourself mm. and take care of yourself. I think are the, the two that really jump out. I mean, especially taking care of yourself. That's you know, it's mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically. And then also don't be afraid to take a leap. It's okay to fail. You hear that all the time, but it really is because you learn so much and just always be aware of the doors that will open when one closes, because it's not just one other one that opens. It's like 50. You just might have to punch a little bit harder, but they're there. Yeah. And so to not be discouraged if things aren't exactly going how you envision them because something better is probably around the corner. Just keep your mind open and your eyes open and your palms open and it will show up. That's so beautiful. Thank you. You are inspiring as you're talking. I know that myself, I... I don't know if it's a fear of failure, but it has to be a fear of failure. I think it's the public aspect of failing that always makes me nervous in my head. I do think, feel fast, you know, whatever the new slang is, right? Whatever is popular, let's do it fast, pivot, feel fast, whatever it is. But the public notion of it, but you're saying, give yourself permission to experience what's around the corner and all our experiences, good and bad, they make us better. And it's really a good reminder. Well, and if you think about fear and the feeling you get when you're scared, it's like, mm-hmm. it's two different things that give you that that feeling. It's like fear of other people and what they think and fear of failing and money and all that. But there's also that same feeling when you're doing something exhilarating and exciting. It's that excitement. You still get those butterflies either way. So kind of shift mm-hmm. your butterflies from Change being- your butterflies. Fear. I love that. Change your butterflies. Mm-hmm. Make sure that they're going towards that thing that gives you excitement. So if it's your brand and speaking to you, because I love your brand and I support you 100% and I want to see you just- successful however that's defined by you is don't worry about all those other people and that fear over there you need to say this is what I love to do and the fear is excitement of I'm being able to offer this to the world and my children are watching me be an entrepreneur and just this awesome woman so I think that's right kids listen to this podcast (laughs) that's right (laughs) and take fear out of your vocabulary just Use another word. Just get rid of it because fear will eat your dream up. Fear is trash. And then it's not okay. (laughs) Take it out. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Audra. And thank you so much for just being honest, vulnerable, and having a fun conversation. Again, my name is Ronka Faliti with Corday. I am the lead storyteller, and we look forward to having more conversations with you on this platform. 